So we are blessed this Sunday with, again, beautiful readings from the Holy Scriptures. God's Word comes to us free of charge as we celebrate today Advent Sunday number two. So through this great season, we march to the great feasts of Christmas. Last Sunday, there was certainly a great time to meditate upon some key themes of the season, one of them being sitting in the space of poverty and lack and want so that we could get in touch with another theme, the desire for God to come and our invitation and cry out for him to come. So that's very much where we were. This Sunday is something of a little part two on that as I'll lay it out this morning, similar ideas. So this Sunday we meet, as I mentioned, John the Baptist, and we'll be with him next Sunday too. And what we can say, I suppose, is that in this Sunday's gospel, among other things, there is something of a, a movement through the text that we should also, if we're paying attention, find ourselves walking as well in our lives. As I always say, those stories are our stories. They're current stories, not just dead ancient text, right? So a bit about the movement, anyway, in the reading, and then how we find ourselves in it, and how that gets us more in tune with who Lord, the Lord is, and for the coming feasts of the Christmas time. First movement, therefore, we would call it this, and it's similar to last Sunday's idea, a movement out to the desert, a movement to a place of desolation, to the wilderness, as it's called in the Jewish understanding, calling to mind their days with Moses in the wilderness, right? How does this happen in the gospel? Matthew lays it out very well for us, and Mark and Luke, all four actually evangelists, say the same thing. John the Baptist appears not in the population center of Jerusalem. He flees there. He leaves there and chooses to be away from the temple and goes to the shores of the Dead Sea in the Judean desert in the countryside. And if one goes there today, one can see that from miles around there is nothing near it. So he goes out to a place of desolation, and that is where he preaches. And that is where he delivers his message, and that's where he is called to be God's messenger and prepare and forerunner. So a place of solitude and of emptiness of the heart. The reality is that he doesn't just stay there by himself. What does Matthew say today? And the other Gospels echo the same thing. It says, Jerusalem, Judea, and the territories around the Jordan all go out to meet him. That's an impressive thing to contemplate. So there's a movement in this gospel of peoples out to be with this man. Thousands of people, probably. We know from Josephus, the Roman historian, that there was a John the Baptist. So he's not only in the scriptures. Another person verifies his existence. And what does Josephus say about him, among other things? That he drew quite a crowd. So he had a big following. This guy was important, it would seem. Think about this. To get out to the Judean desert, one must leave Jerusalem and go about a day's journey east and a smidge north down the Jericho Road through winding, twisting valleys, through more and more desert. It's a dangerous journey. It's not an easy journey. There is no Starbucks along the way, no Dunkin' Donuts along the way. There's no get this Wi-Fi along the way. And when it gets out there, there is nothing. Okay? So what is the movement here? He goes to the desert, the people follow him, they go to a place of emptiness. Call that the first movement of the story, I suppose, and it's not only geographic, it's a movement of the heart. It's a place where one gets in touch, as I mentioned last Sunday, with the desolate parts of our lives. Whatever is lacking, whatever is broken, whatever is empty, whatever is aching, whatever we are sorrowing over, one must go out to that place and acknowledge before God that we are empty as people without him, to be in a place of real abandonment of all of our comforts, 
to be at a place where we acknowledge that we are addicted people, frustrated people, not always the nicest people. It's, it's the place of sin. It's the place of a world in need of redemption. So as the people move, so we must move in the heart. Let's call it the journey of the heart down the Jericho Road. In Advent, where we say, I want to find myself in a place where I acknowledge that I cannot do this on my own, that there is something empty, aching, and broken in my heart that I want God to fulfill. There's something in my life that is out of whack. I'm in a place of the wilderness in my heart. Moreover, though, there's more to this. Call that last Sunday's theme repeated. This time they go out there too for another reason. Because these people are going to go out there in a time of messianic expectation. Why go a day's journey? Why travel by the probably thousands? Why go out to listen to this guy who is an intriguing, mysterious public figure in the day? Not only because they're aching and frustrated and longing, like we frankly are at times, not only is there a poverty of the heart, but they go out there on the conviction that maybe it is possible that God will intervene in history, that a Savior will come. These people living in the first century Palestine were messianic in their outlook. That means that they were looking at every turn for the fact that God is alive, God is active, he works in his people's hearts, he's not distant, and he works in events and in concrete ways and in details. So it was a political question, economic question, a religious question. It was a question of customs and of all sorts of things that went with their traditions. So one goes out there if one is not only in the place of emptiness, but also one believes God can come, God does act, God intervenes, God enters into our world. And they went looking for him. They went looking for a Messiah. What's a parallel today? We should ask ourselves a question, I think, in Advent, and I ask this often these days, you've heard me say this already, what would make me, what would make you, get up and go a day's journey away by a car, or then they, they walked, okay, to go listen to somebody talk? Why would I do that? What would make me travel somewhere, and, and, and not just me, but like thousands of people? What moves us around right now? What draws us? What pushes us? What, what causes the migration of peoples across territories for a compelling reason? I'll give you two examples. One, uh, many Sundays of the fall in Wisconsin, much of the state drives to a patch of yard in Green Bay to stare at it for three hours and then go back home. I'm going to guess probably unchanged by the experience in the most deep sense of the term. This is a migration of peoples for a football game. Okay? In our secular Western world, that's a priority, evidently. Here's another one, which might be closer to the story, but you get the idea. In um, election season in this country, which is pretty much all the time now, when, especially in presidential elections, the major candidates travel around, and they stop at cities, and what do people do? They, they go to listen to them. They go down to Milwaukee, or up to Green Bay, or to Appleton, or, or La Crosse, or Chicago, whatever, because we want to travel and hear a person talk because we've decided that our future, our family's future, our home's future, my future, the nation's future, rests upon this person somehow. Like what they say really impacts my life, and my future depends upon it. And depending upon how I choose an election, it's going to drive my country and my life in a certain way. So I'm going to travel by the hundreds or thousands and gather around a speaker and go, maybe our hopes of the future rest on this man or on this woman. 
That's why we are here in this arena by the thousands, cheering this person on. That's what's going on in the story. That's a movement of peoples in a time period when they thought, is this the one who will bring God into the world so that my life can be better? And I get out of the wilderness of my heart. I live in a place of lack. I want God to act. He might act. I'm going to travel here to say, is he the one who will bring me a better tomorrow? For my family, for my nation, for our world. This is at work in the story. So call that movement number one. And it's an Advent movement. It's a journey to the place of the heart that says, I lack and I'm longing for something. And not only that, I have the conviction that God can act to do something about it. I'm a Messiah seeker in the Advent season. Now, another movement, so there's that one. It would be this, it would be God's movement toward us. Let's call it that. And it is manifested in the message of the Baptist. And it's an interesting message that he offers to the throngs that have come out to see him in the middle of nowhere. What do they hear? Well, first, they're going to hear, on one level, a consoling message. goes like this, oh yeah, God's coming. You who want him to come, you who are searching, you who are seeking, he is coming. Rest on this, he says, God intervenes, he acts, he's at work, he's alive, he's, he knows your hearts, he knows your situation, he knows our plight in the Judean territories. Rest assured, God is coming to visit his people. So we answered that one anyway, right? But what else is John the Baptist say? He is going to come to judge. It's a very stark message. Essentially, they go out there and they get yelled at. That's pretty much what he does, Okay. Because what is John trying to say, because God comes to visit his people, he cannot leave you like you are. He cannot leave us like we are. When God comes and intervenes, when God comes into the world, it is inevitably changed. It doesn't just stay like it is. So here, how about this? If our journey is into the wilderness of the heart and a place of poverty, the way out of it requires something. God will meet us and we must change. We cannot be like we are. You want out, John the Baptist says, then change. Repent. You want an image? He's like a thresher. He's a judge. He is coming to call hearts to move. You might say God loves us so much, he cannot leave us where we're at because he knows we can be better than we are. Better person, better parish, better world, better you name it. So the other movement of Advent is the decision to say, do I realize that my poverty has a solution, it is repentance and the encounter with the coming Christ who wants it of me and knows I can be a better person than I am. What does that look like? So, for us, you know, I mean, we can all, I suppose, do things differently. We can, for one, be people of prayer. Uh, everybody in this room, there's no exception, must be a person of daily prayer. We cannot call ourselves a Christian if we don't pray every single day. We must be people of prayer because that is God's pathway into our hearts. That's how he meets us and changes us and shapes us and redeems us and saves us and fixes what's broken. We have the sacraments. We have the scriptures. And we can say, I'm going to be more attentive to those things than I have been. Maybe in my job or in my life or in my home, I have a misperception about myself or about others, about God that must change. We all get into bad ways of thinking, distorted ways of thinking. 
You think about your spouse poorly or your kids poorly or some leader or this or that or, or, your, or your pastor poorly, but he's leaving so it doesn't matter anyway. <laughs> the point is, God says to all of us, you need to think about how you're thinking and let me work on it in grace. Addictions, habits, you know, we're addicted to, I don't know, drugs, alcohol, gambling, pornography. Everybody here has something that has to go. In the Advent season, what John the Baptist tells us is when God comes to meet you, it's got to go. God does not leave things unchanged. It will not be a comfortable meeting. But that makes sense, because if you want to get out of your poverty, that's how you do it. Movement in, movement out. The uh, intersecting point for all of this is his baptism. Think about it for a second. The people come out there. They hear him talk. They realize in a place of want that it requires a change. They want to be different. So what do they do? They approach him in the water and he baptizes. That's their outward expression of their interior desire to say, I want to be different. I want the Redeemer to come. I'll be changed. I will grow. This is the Advent movement. The, those baptized are contrasted in this story with the temple establishment, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, who John famously calls a brood of snakes. And because what's their problem? They come out there too. <clears throat> they make a journey of the heart. <clears throat> Excuse me. But what happens is that they are unmoved. They go back to Jerusalem unchanged. They don't care. This is the question of the morning for us here on the second Sunday of Advent. Here we are, we've come to God's house. We've made our little desert journey to this wilderness here, so to speak. We've heard the scriptures. We've met the Baptist. He has told us that in our place of poverty, God's going to meet us, and God means business. The question is going to be, how are we going to respond to this? For those who get baptized, for us it is, maybe I'll go to confession. Maybe I'll pray more. Maybe I'll work on my attitude. I, whatever it is, you all know what it is. We know what it is. There's something that I decide I'm going to be better in God's grace. That's one option. Or there's the option of the Sadducees and the Pharisees to go away from this place this morning unmoved and unchanged and miss the entire point of Advent, which means that we will miss Christmas's entire point too because it requires this. We don't want to be those people. We don't want to leave it this morning unmoved. That would be a bad thing. This is the encounter in Sunday, Advent number two, with the message and proclamation of the great forerunner, John the Baptist. In our place of desolation, and we all have it, God comes. He wants to lead us out of it. He is thirsty to lead us out of it. And we want that, but it will require a different heart. It will require repentance and change. So we say to him, with all the Advent fervor we can muster, come, Lord Jesus, make me your servant and change my heart and prepare me for your coming and your Advent. Love me as much as you do so that you will not leave me like I am. Do not leave me like I am or will like it is. Change it for the better in your grace and your power and your peace. And in that way, the Savior can come and be born anew.